We're in the book of Romans, right? So uh, let's take a look. Let's leave off where we were last week with that dire cry out of Romans chapter 7 where Paul finds himself a wretched man because of his flesh. And he said, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And we began to see the Roman illustration of a body of death, meaning that that dead body that was tied to in Rome when someone murdered someone, that dead body was tied to their body and they had to carry it even unto their own death. And that's what Paul's saying. We may be a new creation, but we've got the old flesh container we still live in and that creates this real problem for us in our life. But who's going to save us from this wretched body of death? And he concludes by saying, thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord and Savior. Amen? Which brings us into the chorus of the book of Romans, the, the acme, the pinnacle of this great treatise that takes us into chapter 8 that begins... Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so we find the first declaration of Romans 8 verse 1 and it says this, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Condemnation means to be condemned. There is now therefore no condemning. There's no condemning of God to the believer. There's conviction, and the Holy Spirit will point us out and correct us and discipline us, but there is no condemnation. We will not be condemned to eternal suffering in hell because of what Christ Jesus did. He paid the price in full. So for you and I, there is no condemning coming from God. It is God who justified us. Because of the blood of Jesus, the price was paid. Look at if if your salvation is based upon Jesus Christ and the blood that was shed for you, then your failure to live up to it isn't going to remove it from your life because it was his blood that saved you. He's not going to change from his blood saving you to now your ability saving you. And Paul complains about that to the Galatians. Now, if you want to do a good summary from the book of Romans, after our study in Romans, go to Galatians. Roman is, uh, the book of Romans is like a formal treatise. The book of Galatians is, is Paul just getting ticked off and, and writing really rough to the Galatians. He says, what's wrong with you people? Who bewitched you? Are you so stupid that you start in the spirit to be born again and you finish in your abilities of the flesh? You can't do that. There's no condemning now for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he's going to prove it through what we're going to study. This is a tremendous, tremendous scripture that we must learn as believers. You cannot be condemned. You will not be condemned because Christ was condemned for you. That's the whole point of your salvation. You've taken the one who was condemned for you. So you won't be. That's why we celebrate him. That's why we rejoice in him. So we have no condemnation. The Father justified us through the blood of Jesus Christ. And this is how he explains it as to what happened. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. There's a a transformation. There's an exchange from one law to another law. And and a law is a set of precepts and principles. And so what God has done is by through Jesus Christ, He has set you free. He's brought you into the law of the Spirit of life from the law of sin and death. So the law is called sin and death because what did the law do? The law identified sin. And if you know where there is sin, The wages of sin is what? Death. So if there is a law, perfect and holy, we saw this, remember, in our studies, there's nothing wrong with the law. It is perfect in its holiness. But that's the problem. We are not. So that law continually points out that we are sinners. And if we're sinners, we are condemned to death. 
And if we are under that law in Adam, under broken covenant, we are always under the law of sin and death. How do we know this? Everybody dies. There's your evidence. And so everybody dies under the law of sin and death, but now because of Jesus Christ, thanks be to Jesus Christ, there's no condemnation to us, no condemning. Why? We've been taken out of that law and out of Adam, placed into Jesus Christ, and the Spirit, the life of the Spirit is now ours. The law of the Spirit of life. So what principle, what law do you live under? Do you live under the law of sin and death? The whole world does. Or have you been transformed out of it and now you live under the law of life? Anybody living here tonight? Are you living in Jesus? You know how many Christians still think that they, they live under the law of death? They trust Jesus for salvation, but they don't know they've been set free from the condemnation of the law of sin and death. You live in life now, the spirit of life. And this is how it was done. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. What couldn't the law do? The law couldn't save you. By sending His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. Now how did He do that? Well, God, being holy and perfect, came into a human body, and because he was born of a virgin, he was born outside of Adam, therefore sin was not in him. He lived a perfect life, therefore he was not a sinner, and therefore his blood was perfect and sinless. And by living a human life, he took all of sin upon himself. That's what he said. The law couldn't do that. The law could only point out sin, but the law could not fix the issue of sin. So what Jesus did is he took all the sin upon himself. He said, for God has done what the law, that was weakened by the flesh, in other words, our flesh couldn't fix it, uh, it couldn't do it. He sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Was Jesus sinful? No. But he was in the likeness of sinful flesh. That's just another word for in the likeness of the sons of Adam, in the likeness of all those who were human. But he was not sinful. So in the likeness of being uh, in flesh, for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. How did he condemn sin in the flesh? He took sin upon himself and died according to the law what must be done with sin. He died under the authority of the law to condemn sin in himself. But here's the trick of this whole thing. The whole amazing thing is that he took all sin upon him. He took the wrath of God's judgment on sin. But because he was sinless, death had no authority to hold him in the grave. And so he then broke the power of death. He conquered sin on the cross and broke the power of death through the resurrection. Oh my goodness, what a plan. What a plan. And so an exchange took place. The law could not do this. So Christ did it to nail the law to the cross to perfect God's justice and God's love being met together. And verse 4 says, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be now fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Do you see the exchange that took place? Let me explain some of these exchanges. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. There's an exchange here. Jesus, the sinless one, the second Adam, the last Adam, came perfect in right relationship with the Father and took the broken relationship of Adam and all his sin upon himself so that we would exchange and have his right relationship with the Father. And there's the exchange. Now, the exchange continues. And it says this, that he met the requirements of the law in his death so that you and I would meet its requirements in our life. How can we do that? You know what his expectation is? We will live the law out now 
to perfection because now it's not us in our effort living out these rules. It's His Spirit in us giving us the power to live in right relationship with God in all things. Isn't that awesome? How many of you want to live in righteousness, in right relationship with God, right? And so the Spirit of God is speaking to you continually. He's speaking to us and yes, no, don't do this, wait on that, hold on, choose this, don't do that. And it's a power that strengthens us to give us strength over sin to choose not to sin. Amen? Say it with me. I choose not to sin. It is to the glory of God that I live. Amen? That's the exchange. He took the death of the law so you could live the life in the Spirit. He goes on now in verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile. It's enmity with God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it can't. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Did you notice a term that was repeated over and over and over? The mindset. The mindset. The mindset. Remember where is the war waged? Right, Paul said, in my inner man, I delight in the law of God. I want to please God. But I find in my members, uh, they desire to do and fulfill their own cravings, which creates a war in my mind. And so, Paul's saying, you've got to follow the Spirit. You've got to live according to the Spirit. For the mind that is set, the mind that is set, if the mind's set on the flesh, it's going to follow the flesh. The mind that is set on the Spirit is going to follow after the Spirit. So it is the mindset. What have you determined in your life to do? What have you determined in your mind to do? That's why when we wake up in the morning, we pray, oh God. We speak to the Lord. We read Scripture. Why? Because we're setting our mind on things above, not the cravings of our body and the cravings of our flesh. We're choosing to obey God. And because of an indwelling spirit all day long, I'll put on praise music. I'll put on a sermon. I'll put on Scripture so that I can have my mind set on the things of God. Now look at You might think that's a weak-minded Christian. You always got to have something going in your mind. I'll tell you what. If you don't have something going on in your mind, there's something going on in your flesh. And it's always craving some kind of satisfaction. And so because of an indwelling spirit, I can set my mind on the spirit continually. He, he continually reminds me of his love for me. He continually reminds me of his intercession for me. And so I am constantly walking in him. My prayer life is uninterrupted. It is continual. It's continual. You know, religious people say you have to pray all the time, so therefore set times on your watch to pray and this and that you know what i've got an eternal alarm clock here i've got an internal intercessor the spirit of god that's constantly reminding me of who he is and what he's doing for me we're walking in the fellowship of the holy spirit so i don't get this pe thing where people say well uh, is this sin or is this not sin or can i get away with this or not get away with this how far can i get with sin i gotta ask what kind of mind is that that sounds like an unregenerate mind to me right so he says i'm going to go over these verses again those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit for to set the mind on the flesh is death but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace for the mind that is set on the flesh is enmity. It's hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law. It submits to self. It can't. For those who are in the flesh can't please God. Now we live in a fleshly body, but I live under the Spirit of God. Amen? Paul put it this way as far as setting your mind. He said this in Philippians 4.8, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, 
whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything's excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things and the God of peace will be with you. Setting your mind. People say, Pastor, how am I going to overcome temptation? Setting your mind on things above. Setting your mind on the Spirit and not the flesh. You don't want to sin, then don't enter into temptation. Set your mind. Something's on TV, it's going to set you off. Shut it off. Change the channel. Do something. You're in a conversation. Someone's moving into sin. Walk away. Step away from these things because we delight in pleasing our Lord. I want to hear things that are true, that are praiseworthy, that are trustworthy, that are sincere. These are the things that delight in God. And so this is life in the Spirit. Life in the Spirit is pleasing to the Father. Life in the Spirit is liberating and freedom. It's not bondage to the flesh. We should not be prisoners anymore to the flesh. Let me share with you a story. I don't know if any of you, you know, they used to have elephants at the Detroit Zoo. How many of you know they got rid of the elephants, right? Isn't that a sad story? Got rid of our elephants. If you saw one of the elephants there, you would always see this big, big elephant like this. He'd go like this. You ever see elephants do this? Elephants like to rock. And they go like this all the time. They rock like this. And, and uh, someone once asked, well, why do they rock? Well, if you know and understand how they take wild elephants from the wild and bring them into captivity, they put a big peg, boom, boom, in the ground. They put a chain around it, and they put it on one of the back legs. And that elephant moves, and that elephant can only go so far because every time that chain pulls it back. And that's why they have that rocking, because they they, in their mindset... They have a limitation to how far they can go. Well, God has set you free from the power of the flesh, but many people return to the patterns and the addictions of the flesh. Though you have power to overcome the sin, many people still go back to the patterns of sin. Amen? And so we've got to break the patterns and the mindsets. We need to renew our mind past those old patterns and not be trained into the dance and the pattern of our flesh anymore. Some of you have to break some of the patterns you have. You have some kind of pattern sometimes. How many of you know this, that when you're tired, it's, it's the easiest time to fall into temptation and sin because you become weak and you deserve a break today. So usually one person put it this way, uh, go to bed early because when you're tired and it's late, it usually ends up no good. You usually end up watching something you shouldn't watch, thinking about things you shouldn't be thinking about, saying things and planning things, you're just, it's no good. So break those patterns. It can be very simple. It doesn't have to be. Sometimes it may have to be a deliverance from a demonic. Sometimes it may be just constant prayer to break through. Or sometimes it might be as simple as throw away the stuff you got under your mattress. Get rid of the stuff. Break mindsets in all different ways. Sometimes it might be staying away from certain people or certain places that remind you. And so... He says, the mind that's set, the mind that is set, we have to break it free. He goes on and he says this in verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. You, however, who's he talking to? Christians, us, Christians. He's saying, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Now, you look at what we've done with that. We as Pentecostals have done something to this. We say, uh, we say well, we're, you're only in the Spirit when you're, when you're prayed up and, and when you're praised up, you know, this and that, when we've just been enough in, in the Word. Now I'm in the Spirit. What were you the other 24 hours? Well, I just wasn't there. Uh, see, we have a mindset. We have an idea that as Christians, we walk in the flesh till we get religious, and then we're in the Spirit. And that is not Christianity whatsoever. Christianity is you are in the Spirit 24-7. He doesn't leave the residence he has bought and purchased. He bought you as a vessel of honor. He dwells in you. And if the Spirit of God is in you, you are in the Spirit. 
but I didn't speak in tongues. I didn't feel in the Spirit. Well, that, you just got to catch up to the reality of what's in you. Amen? You have got to realize we are in the Spirit. I'm not in the flesh. Now, I can do fleshly things, but being in the Spirit, He's working towards pulling me out of that at all times. I have to be cognitively aware that I am in the Spirit. I'm always in the Spirit because the Spirit's in me. This isn't an on and off again thing. Amen? I remember when I was little, maybe some of you can relate to this, I was young. I, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior when I was five. Well, there was an after-school kindergarten Bible program for kids at elementary school. They used to have Bible programs after school. And these two little old ladies had a little flannel chart thing, and she taught us to ask Jesus into our heart. And I did, you know? But I remember I would sin, I'd fall into something, you know, as a little six-year-old, seven-year-old, whatever that was, and I would ask Jesus to come back into my heart because I failed. How many of you invited Jesus back into your heart? How many of you got saved like 30 times between 10 and 11 years old? Right? Because you kept thinking, the normal thought is that I did wrong, he left me. And that is such wrong thinking. He bought and paid you. You belong to Him. You were bought with a price. You're no longer your own. Therefore, therefore glorify God in your body. And this is what He's working on. All right, so you are in the flesh. No, you're not. You're not in the flesh. You're in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. So let me ask you this question. Let's do a real quick quiz. Um, Is the Spirit of God dwelling in you? Is there anybody here that has the Spirit of God dwelling in you? How, how do you know that? Because of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on the cross, you're born again, and you have knowledge of the Father. You know his love. You know his word. So, so if the Spirit of God is dwelling in you, what does Paul say? You are living in what then? The Spirit. Say it. I'm living in the Spirit. All right. Some of you go, well, how can I be living in the Spirit doing some of the things I'm doing? Well, that you're living a contradiction. And, and what's happening with that is it's creating a problem for you. Okay, that doesn't mean God leaves. God ain't going to leave because of your problem. He wants the problem to leave. So he's going to keep working on you till you are fed up with yourself. Right? And some people, it takes years to get fed up with themselves over something. Right? So he's not going to, he bought and paid for you. You surrendered to him. He knows your inner heart wants him and wants victory over that thing. And he's patient to tolerate our contradictions. And so how many contradictions do you and I have as we live in the spirit? We've got to fix these things. We've got to correct them in reverence to the Lord. Would you agree to that? Okay, so You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Okay, I don't care what your confession is, I don't care what church you go to, I don't care how many Bibles you own. If you're not born again, born of the Spirit of God, you don't belong to Jesus Christ. You must be born again. And that means accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and surrendering your life and dying on the cross with Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit of life, uh, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through the spirit who dwells in you. And that's the process we're in. He's giving you life. He's giving you life. He's ministering life to you right now. And that life is moving into all the areas of your being. How many of you know there's areas of our thought life and areas of our our patterns of history of life that the Holy Spirit is still working on to correct and still delivering us? That's why Paul said you must be transformed, right, from the patterns of this world by the renewing of your mind. Our mind is not fully redeemed yet it is a process by which we are being sanctified and made holy and it's a saturating of his spirit working into that stuff bringing it to light 
Could you imagine if Jesus brought to light all of our sin the minute you got saved? We'd be dead. We'd go, ah! How many of you know the prophet Isaiah? Man of God, prophet, in the sixth chapter, not chapter one, in the sixth chapter, after he's been prophesying and working as a prophet, he has a vision in the year that King Uzziah died. I saw the Lord high and lifted up in the temple. Remember his response? Oy vey. Woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Now the best feature of a prophet would be his mouth. The greatest calling and gifting of a prophet is the gifting of his speech. And he said, I'm a man of unclean lips. If that's the best he has to offer and it's unclean, what about the rest of them? He said, I am undone. When you get closer to God, and this is what's happening, you and I are drawing closer and closer to the Lord, and guess what is getting revealed more and more in us? The power of sin in our flesh. And it's purifying us, isn't it? Why do you think Paul tells everybody uh, to, to be encouraged, to encourage one another at the second coming of Jesus? It's through the knowledge of the second coming of Jesus that we purify ourselves. Therefore, encourage one another with this. Why would we purify ourselves now knowing that Jesus is coming back soon? So you get yourself right. <laughs> you see God, man. You, you're going to melt. So the closer we draw to God, the more he's revealing in us what the sanctifying work is. Don't sit here and pretend to think that you're clean enough, that you're right enough. Right? In this thinking that, well, uh, i got to be in the Spirit. i got to be in the Spirit. You are in the Spirit, and that Spirit is doing a cleansing work. He bought you as the mess that you and I are. He secured us in the love of His salvation, being a total mess. It wasn't because you cleaned yourself up that He accepted you. It's not because you're clean enough now that He accepts you. It's because He's so gracious to accept us. And so this work of sanctification, I'm living in the Spirit right now. That's why I am fully cognitive of my failure and my sin. You getting this? Unsaved people don't care. The process of sanctification is that I'm fully aware of my sinfulness and my flesh, but I'm not condemned by it. There's no condemnation in it. There's conviction and growth and strength and me overcoming it and he's working with me as a loving father. Oh, this is how we're going to overcome sin. Not by pretending it doesn't exist, but knowing that I'm secure in him, he can work on me. I'll be honest with you. The greatest times that I love being in church is when God nails me. Really? When he says, oh, you should have done this, or oh, I feel like, oh, God just, oh, he just showed me. But that shows me how awesome he is and that he's revealing me and drawing me into a closer relationship. Okay, let's get back to the text. All right. All right, let's go on. Verse 10, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit of, is life because of righteousness. That's what I just explained. The spirit is life because of a right relationship. I'm in right relationship, so life is coursing through me, revealing my life in Jesus. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he will quicken your mortal body. I had to go to King James for that. He will, how many of you remember that? He will quicken. What does that mean? He'll make a alive your flesh your mortal body so that you uh the spirit dwells in you now that's not the future resurrection that's right now he's making you alive to his relationship in him amen now so then my brothers we are debtors i like the niv translation says we have an obligation that's what a debtor has If you're in debt to someone, what do you do? You have to pay them back. You owe them. So there is an owing here. Now, I can never pay Jesus back for what he did for me, right? Because I have no funds (laughs) to do it. My righteousness is as filthy right. I got nothing to offer that could save my soul. So, but I, I'm indebted to him. I ha- in other words, I have an obligation to him. But he puts it in the negative. We have a, a debt 
to pay. We have an obligation not to the flesh, not to live in the flesh. So what would the, the opposite of that be? But to live by the Spirit. And that's what he's saying. I don't know why he didn't just say that. He said it in the negative. We have, therefore, my brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. So we have an obligation to live according to the Spirit. Now, let me help you understand that obligation. I, I owe it to God to live out of his spirit because that's the whole reason Jesus died. So, see, here's the thing. We all think that Jesus died to forgive us of our sins and that's the end of the story. Hallelujah, we're not going to hell. That's half the gospel. You've got to understand, chapter 8 here is going to give us the full story. The reason Jesus came, had our sins put on him, and died so that our sins would be forgiven was unto something else. Was so that, once your sins are forgiven, he could now take up residence in you. That's the whole reason. Somebody say amen with me. You get this? The whole reason he died is so that he could put his nature in us. The spirit of holiness now in us. So I have an obligation. If he did all that so that the spirit of God could put, be put in me, I'm obliged to live in that spirit. That makes sense to you? Let me give you an example. Lazarus was dead in the grave four days. You remember that? Wrapped him up, burial clothes. He stinketh by then. He said, move the stone. They said, oh Lord, he stinketh. To move the stone. He called Lazarus out of the grave. Lazarus comes out of the grave. Some, they said, somebody unwrap that man. Because what if they didn't unwrap him? He'd suffocate and die again. Right? What was Lazarus obligated to do at that point? <laughs> Live. Jesus went to all the trouble to raise him from the dead. He's obligated to live. Jesus died for us, took our sins, washed him clean, rose from the grave, ascended into heaven, sent the Spirit, released the Spirit to live in us. We are now obligated to live by the Spirit. Amen? That's what he's saying. We're obliged. We're obligated. Let's do this. Verse 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put death, uh, you put to death the deeds of the body or the flesh, you will live. So it is our job daily to put to death the deeds of our flesh. Amen? It's my obligation every day. I have to forsake this, the, these drives and these... these uh, lusts and these patterns of behavior that are contrary to the Lord, to overcome them by the power of His Spirit so that I may walk in rightness with Him and honor Him and please Him. And that's my obligation, to do everything in the Spirit and destroy the power of the flesh in me. If you can do that, brothers and sisters, we're walking in victory, amen? And of course, we can. Here's the thing, we can. We can we can. Now, let's go on. Ha. If the Spirit dwells in us, now he's going further, and here's what's great in the case. He says, if uh, we're no longer debtors, uh, and we're not to live according to the flesh, we're to put the deeds of the flesh to death. Verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now, we already concluded that if you are born again of the Spirit of God, you are led by the Spirit of God. The third conclusion is, if you're led by the Spirit of God, you are a what? Son of God. Now, a son of God is a title, okay? Just like the bride of Christ is a title, okay? So ladies, you are all sons of God, okay? You're not daughters of God. You're sons of God. Why? Because that's, that's, a, that's a title. It's a term. To be a son of in Scripture and in Judaism, to be the son of means that you are the heir, the rightful heir to inherit all that belongs to the Father. 
So to be a son of God means that we are the heirs of God, and all that is his now becomes ours. And that's why, men, you are brides of Christ. It's not a gender thing. It's a title. To be the bride of Christ means I'm betrothed to him, that I'm married to him. He's going to come and receive me as his bride and be in covenant with me. So as sons of God, that has everything to do with authority in the earth. Has everything to do with authority in the earth. The sons of God are here, brothers and sisters. That's us. We're convened tonight at 741. Convened tonight to decree the will of God in the earth. Amen. Once the church begins to get serious about this and begins to discover the authority and the positioning of the ecclesia, the called out ones, and the authority of God to be sons of God, we will start speaking for the Father into the earth realm. That's what he wants us to do. That's what prayer is all about. Now he goes on and he says, all who are led by the Spirit uh, of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Ah, fear of what? What was verse 1? There's therefore now no fear. Don't fall back into fear of being condemned by the law or being condemned by a holy God. You are not having to fall into the fear of being condemned. Why? Because I'm a son of God. All right, I'm in right relationship with him. That's righteousness. I have right relationship, so I don't have to fall back into fear. You didn't receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now that's a beautiful term, Abba, Father. In Aramaic, Abba is a very endearing term. It means daddy. It's not just the, the formal term of father. It's, it's the endearing term of daddy. In the Middle East, if, if, if uh, some of you have been to Israel on our teams, if you know anybody who speaks Arabic or is Middle Eastern, they call daddy Abba. Abba, Abba. And now, what is in you is the Spirit of God that is constantly, in Galatians, Paul tells us that the Spirit cries out, Abba, Abba. He's continually in you crying out, Abba, Father, Abba, Daddy, Abba, Father. So even when you forget, and even when you feel distant from Him, guess what? The Spirit of Sonship is always like a beacon calling out a signal to Father in Heaven. Abba, Daddy, Abba, Daddy, Abba, Daddy. That's what's going on right now in your spirit. He's identifying you as a child of God. Abba, Daddy. So, the Spirit bears witness by which we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we are children, we are then what? Heirs. What is an heir? An heir is a legal offspring, right, of, of another. So we've been born again. All of you were individually born by God's Spirit that gives you the right to be called a son of God. And as an heir, that means you legally have the right to inherit. Well, let's just see what. Let's see what we get to inherit. If, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Messiah Jesus, provided we suffer with him in order that we might be glorified with him. We'll get into that in a second. But he's saying we are heirs of the Father and joint heirs with the Son. Let's just put that into perspective for a minute now. I've, I've got uh, a brother and a sister. So when my parents die the inheritance of my parents have to be shared by how many? Three? But what about the oldest one? Should they get more or should we get... Okay, so we are co-heirs. This is telling us that you and I are co-heirs, joint heirs with Jesus. Any inheritance that Jesus receives from the Father, we receive as well. Because we are in Christ Jesus. Oh my goodness. That's no small thing. 
Listen to this in Romans 4.13. Romans 4, it said this, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring, that would be us, is that he would be the heir of the world. It did not come through the law, but it came through the righteousness by faith. We gloss over that heir of the world. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit what? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit what? Dirt? Well, earth is dirt. We inherit the earth. We get buried in the dirt. That's it. Is that? The earth. The word in the Greek is cosmos. You and I are going to inherit everything created in the physical realm. Everything. We will have the authority and the ability. Read Psalm 8. What is man that thou art mindful of him? Thou hast made him a little lower than the Elohim. That, that we shall inherit, that, that we have authority over all the works of his hands. You and I will inherit that. Now he said, as long as we provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Well, I'm not thrilled about the suffering part. What are you talking about? So we're going to inherit the world, the earth, the cosmos, all of creation, See, here's the problem. Everybody thinks the world's coming to an end. The world's not coming to an end. The world's coming to a beginning. We haven't even begun yet. Remember, everything got stalled out on day seven. <laughs> when Adam and Eve broke covenant with God, everything got stalled out in God's plan and purpose. He had to redeem mankind. He's got to restore mankind. Then everything's going to get started here. So let's go on. Let's look at, he says this about the suffering. He says, I consider that the suffering of this present time isn't worthy to compare with the glory that is to be revealed to us. There's glory coming, everybody. This isn't the best of it. This is, in fact, the worst of it. We're gonna, we suffer through life so because there's a glory coming. And he's changing us and teaching us how to rule and reign with him for eternity. And he says this now, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing or the manifestations of the sons of God. All of creation's been waiting for us, for this plan to be completely finished and, and accomplished, that Jesus redeemed all things back to the Father, and we as a people have the authority over all of creation. All of creation's waiting for this to take place. It's not coming to an end. It's starting. How can I uh, prove it to you? Verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain freedom of the glory of the children of God. That goes all the way back to the garden and helps us understand the authority that man has over all of God's hands. All of what God created, he put mankind in authority over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, the fowl and the, the animals that walk on the ground and creepeth along. We had authority over all of it. We had authority over all the trees, all the cosmos. Everything living was under our authority so that when we fell, guess what happened? All of creation fell. That should show you how much authority we have. That we have. All of creation is waiting, waiting, waiting. That's why Jesus said to the Pharisees, if I tell this crowd to stop praising me, the very rocks and stones will cry out. All of creation was waiting for Messiah to take death and sin out of the equation. I can't imagine what the reverberation was like when Jesus walked. How many of you know that when he got out of the boat at, at, the, at the Gardens, the, the cemetery, as soon as his foot hit the sand, the demons come running. What are you doing here? You imagine the animals and the trees and the birds flying by going like, oh. All of creation had to know this is God. He's the one that created me. 
There were just, there had to be such vibration going on and, and such movement going on and everything living wherever Jesus was. Why do you think all the fish went into the net when he said, throw your net on that side? Because the creator said, swim over here. They did whatever he wanted. He's here. They're all waiting. They're all waiting. Now look at how they're waiting. It says like this. It says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Anybody here have a baby? Men, you're excluded. You watched. Men, you just watched. You don't know. Now, um, I've been told... And I've observed four times, this is quite a painful process, childbirth. And I've heard the groaning, right? In fact, uh, uh, my wife and I were just talking about this the other day, and uh, um, uh, our children are having children. And uh, one of the doctors told one of our kids, you know, she didn't know if she was in labor yet or not, and she said, the doctor told her, when you can't finish complete sentences, you'll know you're in labor. It's like, okay. <laughs> now catch this. Here's the analogy. All of creation is in labor with birth pangs, okay? We know that the whole creation's been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Until now. Why until now? What's happened? Jesus came. Jesus died. Jesus rose from the dead. And he's called the sons of God together so that we are in the process of moving into our new positioning for a new creation. They've been waiting for this. They're pregnant with this. They're waiting for the manifestation or the birth of the sons of God. And that's us. So the world's not coming to an end. It's coming to a beginning. All right. And not only the creation. Now he's going to go for a second one. But we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we're groaning inwardly as we are eagerly waiting the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So he's saying all of creation is pregnant and laboring over our birth. We ourselves are moaning and aching for us to have the full redemption of our bodies. What's that full redemption? When we get changed. When he returns and this flesh puts on immortality. How many of you are can't wait to get rid of this body of death? Right? Isn't it, it going to be awesome? Woo. But we're groaning day by day. We're suffering through that. But we're not done yet. There's another area of groaning. He goes on and he says, we, we're waiting for adoption of our bodies. For in this hope we're delivered or saved. Now hope that seems not hope at all. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We don't know what we're going to be like. We don't understand it. All we know is that when he comes, we will be like him. And we look through a glass dimly right now. We can't figure that out. But let's just keep our eyes on what we're supposed to be doing. Defeating sin, death, and the devil. Amen? Training for this eternal state that we're going to be in. But wait, there's more. Now while we're waiting and groaning for that, likewise, that means in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Same word, groaning, groaning, groaning. Reference to what? Childbirth. The Holy Spirit's pregnant in you. He's waiting to birth something in you. What is it? Let's see. I wonder what it is. Okay. Because when we're weak and ignorant, we don't know what to pray. The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he, the Father who searches hearts, knows what the mind of the Spirit is because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So the Spirit is groaning for us, because we're ignorant and weak in what should be done, he's groaning inside, 
Birthing what? He knows the will of the Father and he knows our mind. So there's an intercession going on so that we would birth the will of God in our choices. That's what he's interceding for. So brothers and sisters, you have an intercessor at the throne of God. From God's throne, Jesus our mediator is praying and interceding for you to understand the purpose and will of God. He's commissioning angels. He's decreeing his promises to us. Within us is the very spirit of God who's groaning and praying that we would choose and he knows the mind of the Father and he knows the mind of the saint and he knows the will of the Father and he's groaning to pray interceding for us because we're too weak and ignorant to know what to pray for so that we would manifest the will of God. Thank God. He's doing that 24-7. How many of you need that intercession? Oh man, yeah. And isn't it amazing that you and I so easily and so flippantly will choose sin in the midst of all of that going on? The power of the will. Oh my goodness. And I'm speaking to myself right now because there are times when I just too easily give in to the craving of my flesh, whatever it may be. Whatever it may be. And I forsake considering that the Holy Spirit is... groaning that I would choose his will oh man we got to get in touch with that we got to get in touch with that God help us let's go on now he says this that as this Sons of God, we've got birthing of creation groaning. We're groaning. The Spirit's groaning for this manifestation, this birthing of kingdom life. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. That's what He wants. His purpose. His purpose. All things are working together for His purpose. You and I are daily living and working for His purpose. And all things are working together. Jesus is moving them and intercepting them and causing all things to work together for those who are called according to His purpose. For those He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. There it is. That was the plan from the beginning of time. That we would be sons of God. We would be shaped into the image of Jesus. Obedient sons. In order that He might be the firstborn among men many brethren and those whom he predestined he then called and those he called he justified and those he justified he has glorified that's our condition oh my goodness do you see why i get upset when someone says i'm just a sinner saved by grace man you're on the wrong side of the cross come on over Get into the place where you're walking as a son of God in the full authority of the Holy Spirit under the unction of God's Spirit to birth and decree His will. Amen? Amen. Oh, we're getting there. Aren't you excited about what's coming? Amen, amen. I'm sorry I'm going on so long. I, I Thank you. I'm going to move forward. <laughs> All right, so he says this. He who did not spare. Oh, my goodness. What shall we say about these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? What did he just say? Are you kidding me? He, he just said, you want to talk about an heir of all things? He said, how will he not? This is the father. How will the father not also with him. With whom? With Jesus. He didn't spare giving up Jesus. He gave up Jesus for you. He gave up Jesus for me. Now that would be enough. Die anew. It would have been enough. 
Wouldn't it have been enough for us to just have the love of God through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior? He gave us Jesus. What more do we want? He said not only will he also give him, but he will then graciously give us what? All things. What do you think he means by that? Yeah, I'm thinking he means all things. Heirs of all things. Not only do we have the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, not only do we have every promise that God has ever made is yes and amen in Christ Jesus, everything will belong to us. The worlds, the cosmos, the stars, the galaxies. And you know what? That won't mean anything to us. What will mean most is Him. It's easy to give everything up to the one you love. He loves us that much. He loves us so he, do you Now, wow, 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 take this all the way back. Do you remember why he made everything? Everything was made by him and for him and through him. And he's giving all of it to you. Whew. Come on. You think the law could do any of this? Again, all the law can do is say you're condemned. Do you see how, oh my goodness, let's keep going. He shall, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. We went through this, didn't we? Who's going to condemn? Jesus, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ Jesus? Is tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, as it is written, for your sake we were being killed all the day long, regarded as sheeps to slaughter. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. What does it mean to be more than a conqueror? To be more than a conqueror means to be an inhabitor. It's one thing to conquer the enemy. It's another to conquer them and take over their territory and own everything. And to be at peace. That's what it means to be a conqueror. More than a conqueror. Amen? And he goes on, we're more than conquerors. What are we conquering? For I am sure that neither death or life or angels or rulers or things present or things to come or powers or height or depth or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He mentions all the dimensions, time, space, spirit, physical, you name it, any dimension that there is, we have been conquerors in all spaces, dimensions, eternal, anything, anything you can come up with, and he ends it with just, and everything else. So don't sit there and tell me I can't get over my sin. Don't sit there and tell me I'm just going to make it to heaven by the skin of my teeth. Don't sit there and tell me that this, this is too hard and we're never going to make it. With what he's put in us, what he's promised to us, and how much energy and effort he's working in us to accomplish this, we've got to rise to the level he's called us to. Amen? Hallelujah. Questions after this short commercial break. <laughs> Hudson Taylor said this, great missionary to China. And this is the exchanged life. This is what it means to be in Romans chapter 8. He said this, I used to ask God to help me. Oh, God, help me, help me, God, help me. Then he said, then I asked if I might help him. What can I do for you, God? I'm great. Then I ended up asking God to do his work through me. And that is God's delight. God wants to work in us so we become vessels available. Here's the best way to put it. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. You know this verse. But they who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. There's only one problem with that English translation. The Hebrew word for renew is wrong. Well, the English word is wrong. <laughs> 
what happens when we read it like this, those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. God doesn't want to renew your strength. He wants your strength dead on the cross. But we work in our effort to please God. The Hebrew word here for renew is better rendered exchange. Those who wait upon the Lord shall exchange their strength They shall mount on his wings like eagles, run and not be weary, walk and not be faint, because my strength is his strength. Paul said it, when I am weak, I know I am strong. It's all his strength in me. It's not our strength. So when you're at the altar praying, don't pray for you to be strengthened, pray for his strength to be strengthened in you. I close with this last portion of scripture. Paul says this in Colossians 1.21, For this I toil, translations say labor, struggling. Well, that sounds pretty, like he's put his whole self in it, right? He's toiling, he's struggling. That's a lot of effort by Paul. But look at what he says, where the effort's coming. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. You want to overcome sin? You want to overcome the patterns of the flesh? You want to live a victorious life? You want to be more than a conqueror? You and I can't do it in our strength, but we can do it through his strength. We must enter into this toil and this struggle and give all that we have, but allowing to work by his energy and his power, the power of his spirit. You with me? How do we do that? We wait upon him. And we will exchange our strength for his. We study his word. We listen to his voice. And we grow and mature in his power in us.